Now, I have officiated a lot of weddings over the years. And when I first started this whole wedding thing many, many years ago, it was pretty simple and pretty straightforward. There were two sides in a wedding. There was a bride side and a groom side. But, you know, it's pretty, you know, simple for the most part. I mean, wedding etiquette has always dictated that it's straightforward. You know, guys on one side, sometimes it get a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, the groom side, and then there's the bride side. But over the last few years, it has been increasingly complicated. It really has. I mean, there are weddings where, you know, uh, the, the bride or the groom or both parents are remarried or living with somebody, and you're trying to figure out who sits next to who and who walks with who, and, and, and you got grandparents and step-grandparents and parents and step-parents, and, and, and it just gets a little bit complicated because you're trying to figure out who's fighting with who and who do you got to keep away from who, and it is like a full-time, you know, deal. It is a major task to sort all of this wedding stuff out, this whole family thing out. You see, weddings have gotten exceedingly complicated over the last few years because families have gotten exceedingly complicated over the last few years. And, and families today, have, they, they face a whole new reality than, than what my generation faced when I first came into adulthood. Life is just different. Now, let me tell you something. Families matter to God. They, they matter to God, but it is harder, and at least it seems like it's harder and harder and harder to keep families together. It seems like there's a battle that is waging across all lines to keep families together. There are brand new challenges, brand new difficulties that younger families especially are facing that our generation and our parents' generation never had to face. Now, now for example, um, I, I was thinking about when I was a kid, uh, I think my family moved a total of three times before I was 18 years old. But I read recently that the average family in America now moves every two and a half years. Every two and a half years, people are moving around. And so what does this mean? This means that there's, there's not the same support structure in the neighborhood that used to be. As a matter of fact, most of us probably don't even hardly know our neighbors. There's very little structure that, that supports the family. As a matter of fact, um, things have radically changed even when it comes to the family network itself. This will blow your mind. This is, this is mind-blowing to me. But if you don't think way back in the 1940s, before most of us were even born in this world, in the 1940s, the government said that between 60 and 70% of all households in the United States of America had at least one grandparent living in their house full time. 60 to 70%. And, and so what did this mean? This means that, that the people of those generations had the benefits of a grandparent speaking into their life, being able to give advice, being able to pass along their faith, being able to talk about their family's history, being able to tell the kids what their mom and dads were really like when they were kids. You know, uh, They had this incredible resource and grandparents, right? But that's altogether different in our world. As a matter of fact, uh, in the United States now, roughly just a little under 2% of all households in America have a grandparent living in the home full time. And it's almost always related, almost always related to health issues, end of life health type of issues. And so really there's very little benefit to the family or to the kids to have, have the grandparent living there. It's usually an exercise of trying to take care of somebody else. And so things are just radically different. There is, seems like this whole relationship between grandparents and, and grandkids has been either severed or is just non-existent at all. As a matter of fact, some sociologists label the current generation of kids the grandparentless generation. It's true. And, and those that still have a relationship, it seems like it's growing in contentiousness, right? I, I read this article. It was on the cover of the uh, USA Today uh, uh, newspaper, 
And it blew my mind because it was a, an article that said that there was this case that was going to court where grandparents were bringing a case against the parents of their grandchildren because the parents of the grandkids did not allow the grandparents to have any role in their grandkids' life. It's crazy. And so get this, there's a Supreme Court case asking the question, do you have a constitutional right to see your own or to have a part in your own grandkids' life? Now, what's funny is I don't even know how the case turned out. I don't know what happened with the whole deal. I don't know the whole facts. But isn't it crazy that that's even argued? Does anybody just go, that's just crazy that that is even being talked about in our world? Listen, friends, this is the kind of brokenness that I'm sure that God never intended for our families and for our world and for the people that he loves. Uh, the New York Times uh, recently had an article in it about, uh, about the whole sexual revolution and the ramifications years and years and years later. Well, in this article, they stated that between 1972 and 1994, that there, you know, 22 years after the secular, uh, sexual revolution, that the ratio of cohabitating couples, that would be men and women living together outside of marriage, had rocketed up over 700%. So in other words, seven times over in that 22 years, and they said since then, it's almost unmeasurable. And what does this mean for our world? What does this mean? This means that there is a whole generation of children being born into couples who don't have the advantage of this thing called marriage, the stability of coming home to a mom and a dad who love each other, who are committed in this thing called marriage, committed for a lifetime, to raise these children together. And friends, this is just a, a different reality that we're seeing in our world today. The whole world is, is different than the world I grew up in. I grew up in the Little House in the Prairie world. Anybody? Anybody? Leave it to Beaver world. It's different now, isn't it? Y'all with me on It is just a different set of realities that is, that's being faced. As a matter of fact, today, for the first time ever, well over a third of all children born in America are born to a single mom. As a matter of fact, it's nearing one out of two. And again, so think about where these children arrive and the difficulties that are going to face them. It's a different set of, of realities. It's a different world, and it's a difficult world uh, often, uh, more often than not. As a matter of fact, in urban cultures in America, it was just uh, said in 2016 that it will top 80% of all children in urban cultures in America. I'm not exactly sure how they define urban cultures, but I'm guessing big cities. Um, they said that 80% of all children will be raised in a single-family home with, listen to this, no regular father input at all. That changes the world, doesn't it? That changes families, doesn't it? Think about the parent-child uh, roles. It, it adds a whole new level of confusion. It adds a whole new level of complexity in their lives. And I'm not trying to judge anybody or beat anybody down in this room. I'm just saying that family life is harder now than ever. Families, to keep families together, it's just harder than ever, and it's, it's more critical than ever. Family life is complicated, and with the explosion of the divorce rates, along with the rise of step families and unrelated guardians and unmarried couples and gay parenting and surrogate, uh, surrogate parenting and grandparents taking over the primary parenting roles, uh, it's like, it's like just, it's a crazy different sort of a world, and it leaves us scratching our head thinking, what is a family anymore? What does a family really even look like anymore? And how do we value it? And how do we pr preserve it? And how do we even, how do we nurture that along, right? That's just a new reality. But I would say this, um, that everyone in this room who's ever been part of a family, and y'all have been part of a family, you know 
how hard it is to keep that family together, no matter how hard you work at it. There are forces in our world, let's admit this, there are forces in our world that want to destroy your family, that want to tear it down and tear it apart. Am I right? Yes or no? Yeah. Anybody know the battle of trying to keep your own family together? Yes or no? It's hard. It's hard. And I would say that most of us in this room, we have a tremendous hope for our family. We have a tremendous dream for our family. There are some in this room uh, that you have a hope for a family. You hope one day to meet that person and uh, uh, to, to strike it off and uh, you know, maybe get married one day and maybe start your own family. Maybe some of you are already kind of down that road and, and you're, you're looking at having kids and you have hopes and dreams that maybe one day you'll have kids in your home and you'll start a family. Um, others of you, you're in a situation where you're well in the middle of this and you got kids and it's crazy in your world and you have these huge hopes and these huge dreams of making something beautiful out of your life and out of your home and out of your family. But there are others in this room. For you, when you look back on family life, it comes with a mixed bag, right? Because maybe your family hasn't been all that you dreamed. Maybe your family hasn't been all that you hoped for. Maybe it didn't quite turn out the way that you wanted it to turn out, the way that you really planned for it to turn out. And you look back, and for you, maybe, maybe there's, there's regrets. Maybe there's hurts and there's scars and there's deep disappointments. Because it's true. Listen, in families, you know this, right? Families have always been a place where, where there is love. But families have also always been a place where there's hurts and there are regrets. Families have always been a place where dreams can flourish, and families have always been a place where dreams can be dashed and disappointment can really rule in somebody's life. It's just true. Um, but, but the truth is, friends, we need to work at preserving family. We need to work at holding our families together. And I would say that most of us in this room, most of us in this room, we want to be part of a family that works most of us in this room, we want to be part of a family that somehow not only stays together, but thrives. As a matter of fact, I, I would say this, that most of us in this room, when we, when, we hear the word, when we hear the word family brought up in discussion, there's a part of you that, 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 that it rings a chord deep inside of you because you know how important it is. And whether it's been great for you or disappointing for you, it rings a chord because you know how important it is. I would venture to say this, that every single person in this room, no matter your past, no matter the good or the bad and both in your family, my guess is that every single one of us longs to be part of a family that's loving and embracing and encouraging and equipping, a family that, that pushes us forward and not pulls us down. I would say almost every single person in this room wants that. Am I right? Yep, even as a 45-year-old with my extended family, I want it to work and work well. With my own kids, I got four kids, I want it to work and to work well. I want it to be the type of family that God wants it to be. And so this morning, here's what I'd like to do. And this is gonna be a lot of fun and uh, this is a little bit risky, but I wanna take you on a bit of a journey uh, into the stories of, of some of the different families in the life of our little church here. Uh, I have some friends who are going to open up their souls to you, and they're going to tell their stories. And let me tell you something. Um, when you hear their stories, you're going to go, what was Jeremy thinking playing this on Mother's Day? Is he crazy? Because the truth is, these stories are filled with a lot of pain and a lot of difficulty and a lot of struggle. And the reason I'm doing this on Mother's Day weekend 
is because I want to say to you that all of our families, all of our families are filled with struggle. Yours is different than mine, but every family has struggle. And these families today, they're they're, going to show you how, how they're trying to find God's will in the middle of it all. How they're trying to follow God and his will for their families in the middle of all of the struggle. And so I hope that it'll be a big encouragement to you as we do that. Before we get to that, though, I want to do this. If it'd be okay with you, I just want to share one little passage of Scripture. One little passage of Scripture that I think reveals the heart of God for the family. Just one little passage of Scripture. It's found in the book of Psalm, uh, chapter 78. I'm just going to read it. So you don't have to turn there. It'll be up on the screen. Just let this settle in as I read these words to you. Hear them with an open heart. Hear them as God wants you to hear them, as an, as, as an encouragement to you to where to turn, to where to seek for your answers and direction. Now listen closely to what it says in Psalm 78. It says, oh my people, listen to my instructions. He's saying, listen up. This is going to be important. This could shape your life. This could change the course of who you are and who you're becoming. It says this, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying. For I speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories that we have heard and known. Stories of our ancestors have handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. He's saying our children have to know this stuff. He says, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and about his mighty wonders. For he has issued laws to Jacob and he has given instructions to the nation of Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So God's given us these these ways to live, these, these ideas, these principles, these understandings on how to live. And he says, we've got to somehow figure out how to hand them to our children. And if we miss it, if we fail at this, and we failed in a monumental way. So he says, we've got to figure this out. And so he says, so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. So each generation, here's the key. Here it is. Listen close. He says this. So each generation should set its hopes anew on God. He says, you want to know the answer? It's every generation Seeking God is the only answer. It's not education. It's not more money. It's not more business. It's not security. It's not any of those things. They all might be very important. But he says there's only one answer that's going to renew the human condition. Only one answer that's going to renew the human family. It's when each generation is handed faith. It's when each generation turns and trusts in God. Listen to what he says not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Amen? Amen. This is the key, friends. When when families set their hope in God, families work. When moms and dads set their hope in God, families work. When grandma and grandpas, aunts and uncles, children and grandchildren... Cousins, nieces, and nephews, when they set their hope in God, families work. Families work. God wants this for you. God wants your family to thrive. God wants your family to experience his very best for your life every single time. But there is a key 
And that is you and me. You and me. Leading our families toward God. That's the key. And so I'm going to play you some videos of some friends who have, who have been in this struggle. And my hope is that you'll be encouraged. My hope is that you will be challenged. And my hope is that you'll be moved toward God. So in the summer of 2014, uh, our son Braden was playing on a playground during a uh, dry land hockey practice. Um, he was playing on the monkey bars with the rest of the team. Unfortunately, he, or well, maybe fortunately, he fell. And when he fell, he hurt his hip. Well, from there, uh, he started limping. Um, and the limp didn't go away. So I had decided to take him to the doctor to have it checked out. We had the chiropractor who saw the x-rays and nothing was wrong. And then we saw the pediatrician and they said nothing was wrong. But because of Mike's insistence, the doctor had sent him to get an MRI. The day that we went for the MRI, we sent Braden in. They did the, did the scans. And about an hour, hour and a half later, he came out. And they said, don't go anywhere. You know, we want to make sure we got everything. Well, they came back out five minutes later, and they wanted to bring him back in. The doctor said that they wanted to get some more scans. Then they let us go home, and we were on our, our way. We were done for the day, and I went to work. And I got a phone call from um, the doctor's office. After that phone call, is I emailed the doctor like he had told us to, and... He, it was the weekend, so it was on a Friday, and I didn't hear anything back from him. And then on that Monday, we headed over to our chiropractor's office, and I walked in and said, you know, I don't have an appointment to see Dr. Clark, but I'm Julie Lazars, and I'd like to talk to him. And the nurse was, uh, her face was just all telling, and she's like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll get him for you. So they took us back into the office, and Dr. Clark walked in, and Dr. Porter walked in, and... He, they just hugged us because they had read the MRI results. We were told he had a stage four high-risk neuroblastoma, which was very odd for a 10-year-old. We decided that we were going to tell Brayden because we had found out that he, in fact, did have cancer. Um, that was by far the hardest thing that we've I've ever had to do in my life. Um, Braden didn't take it very well, rightfully so. He really didn't know how to take it at first and um, didn't, didn't think that it was right because he didn't feel bad. Uh, and if he didn't feel bad, then there's no way that he could have cancer. We didn't take it very well. We all kind of broke down crying. Not being able to fix your son and having to trust in the doctors and trust in God and knowing that God put that team together to take care of your child, that's really difficult. But we knew we were going to get through it. Uh, there was just that, that feeling of no matter what this is, we're going to get through it. That first treatment, we were only in about four hours of the dosing starting and Braden was in so much pain. And it was... It's so hard to sit there and watch your son be in this much pain knowing that you have five more days of this infusion and you still have four more rounds after it. 
and then also being told that round two was going to be way worse than round one and looking at your kid screaming in pain is just unbearable. He didn't understand why he had to keep fighting. Why did he have to keep going through treatments? And that was heartbreaking to see your kid who's been fighting not want to fight anymore. He just got so tired of treatment. It had been a long time. He'd lost a lot of his friends. He'd lost the ability to be able to do the things he wanted to do. That first round was just so hard on him that he didn't want to do anymore because it was so bad. There was a moment when we were, Braden and I were laying in the hospital bed and his temperature had gotten over 103 and his heart rate had jumped really high and his oxygen levels were very, very low and I just started praying and I grabbed my phone and I sent out a quick text to a few girlfriends and I just need you to pray and within minutes his temperature came down and his heart rate got better and I knew that that was God, that God stepped in because the medicine wasn't working but... God did because he just does that like he controls all things at that point we started getting cards in the mail Braden every day would you know have a card uh, to cheer him up and we were so thankful that Metro just stepped in and really started to help us Um, meals would be dropped off at the house or just gift cards so we could stop on the way to and from we had a lady drop off a Tupperware bucket one day for us um, and it was just filled with different drinks and snacks that we could keep in the car um, since we were driving back and forth to Ann Arbor every day and with that and with all the different prayers and Braden's hockey league the whole league stepped in and was helping and football league and relentless and we were just surrounded by so much love and prayer that it was so heartwarming I don't know how anybody could get through something like that and not have faith in Jesus So I just am so thankful that we have the faith that we do. And it just continues to get stronger through this journey. And now that the journey's near the end, or is done. January of 2015 was when he went in for his MIBG treatment. And after that treatment, they did scans. And that was when we first got our first NED. No evidence of disease. So that was a, uh, a joyous day in the Lazar's household. Uh, looking back at it all, uh, it was a long road, uh, and, but there's no way that we would have made it all the way through it without, without God and, and his presence in it all. At the end of the day, after all of this treatment, he still has a high chance of relapse. Uh, the doctors told us it's about 50-50, um, even after all of this is said and done. So... We'll keep scanning and keep praying and know that God's got this and that we're in the good 50%. Every time you hear him cough or if he has a little limp, it's always in the back of your head, is this you know, a relapse or is there something else going on? Um, but you just you, you turn back to God and, and you know that it's in God's hands. Whatever it is that's going to happen, it's going to happen according to his plan. He'll live a great life, and he'll continue just to be a kid and hopefully continue to run after God. We are the Lazarses. And, and we are Metro. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I was helping you out. Try again. Okay, let's do it again. We'll okay. both say? All right. We all three say, well, all three say okay. we are Metro. You say Got we it? are the Lazarses. 
We are the Lazarses. And, and we, we are, are Metro. Metro. We met um, about nine years ago um, at my sister's wedding and Brandon had seen me at the wedding but I didn't really notice you that much because I was busy, I was in the wedding. Um, that's what it was. <laughs> that's what it was. Tell them the truth, I went to get a pizza for a uh, party I met you at and yeah, I came back and your chair was moved over to next to my chair. So she made the first move. We started dating and it wasn't very long. It was- We were engaged in six, August. Six months. And married in October, yeah. six months. We have two beautiful kids. Uh, Ruger, who was five, Mackenzie, two. Um, I, we had a long stretch of time where life was going smooth and kind of no hiccups, working, you know, raising the kids doing the uh, hobbies and going to church and life was totally smooth. But in November, I went for my annual exam um, and the doctor had found um, a, some dense tissue in the left breast. So they had sent me to get a mammogram and they said, she goes, well, you know, you're 30, um, your hormones change, everything kind of changes. So, you know, you gotta go and I thought, well, you know, I'm young, I don't have any family history, everything should be fine. So we did that, and then um, they suggested that I get a biopsy. That's when a little fear kicked in for me. It's like, okay, there's more than, you know, just a standard in, in and out of the doctor's office and, you know, see in six months or a year. Now they want to move to the next step. I got the call, that was my 31st birthday, I got the call that I had cancer. And I was at work that day, and I just remember, I just fell apart in the lab. I was sobbing, crying, you know, hearing the word cancer, I, who thinks to hear that at yeah. 31? He called me. I called you, and you're crying, you're at the fire station. I was at the that fire day. station. She said that, well, I have cancer, and numbness doesn't begin to describe how I felt and then it starts to sink in a little bit I'm like okay you you have cancer tears begin to flow and my boss is looking at me you know with uh, just like a shocked look on his face and so I talked to my wife and since she's tough as nails she tells me to stay at work so I stayed at work and came home the, the next morning when, uh, when we seen each other for the first time. Maybe it sinks in even, even a, little, a little bit farther, gets a little more scary. But then, you know, with mine and her personalities, uh, we're like, okay, this, this is what's going on right now. Um, we got this. God's got this. It was horrible, but the eight, the week after, I had to get an MRI. I met with the breast surgeon. I met with the oncologist. So it was just kind of overwhelming. I mean, meeting all these people, and yeah. you're getting poked, and they're doing all this stuff, and I 
My wife hated loves it. my wife loves needles. I so. hate it. <laughs> so oh, the the day before Christmas Eve, um, I went in for a lumpectomy. She, the doctor came out, said everything was great. Um, she was happy with everything. Um, a week later, I went in for my follow up, and she said that she didn't get everything. So I went in for a second lumpectomy, and she she wasn't so sure that time that she had got everything. So when I went in for the um, follow-up, I kind of had a feeling, but I, you know, I don't know. And then they come back and say, nope, sorry, we didn't get it all. I, I was sunk <laughs> at that point. It was definitely shaking to my, shaking to my faith. But, you know, when I would have my low moments and lots of questions, Liz was there to my sick wife as being supportive to her husband. Uh, but that's how it was. Yeah. And then when her nice spirits person. were down, it's almost like we just gelled together and we kept lifting each other up, lifting each other up, praying, praying, lifting each other up. Family would lift us up. So um, with that being said, I thought, all right, God, like, you got to do something here because... I've been through two surgeries. I, I can't I can't take anymore. Like God, I'm giving this all to you. So um, we I had a double mastectomy uh, February 9th, and that was the most challenging time. You can't lift you can't lift your kids for eight weeks. You can't brush your hair. Brandon was having to wash my hair. I mean, that was love, but. We had made the right choice, and that gave me peace and and the God's wisdom, you know, just to do the double mastectomy and be done with it. And she was asking me, well, "What should I do? What should I do? Is, is Brandon what gonna? I do? Is Brandon gonna love me any, you know, any less? Because I'm gonna be totally changed. I'm not gonna be the same person I am. I didn't want you to love me any less, or." Yeah. Whatever, just it was scary. I didn't want you to think of me as some gross person. That was farthest from my mind. She's beautiful. She is my wife, and that 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 stuff is only skin deep. The reconstruction will start. That surgery will start in July. But everything has looked positive um, from this point on. All yeah. the tests have been clear. Everything has been positive. So. I'm I'm in the clear now, so in the just... clear. So it's just from here on out, it's just continuing um, the healing process. Yeah. So I have learned to, with my wife encouraging me, that God, you are in control of this situation. God put people in place, people that aren't even believers, and I know it was a God thing. These people don't even. I mean. My coworkers, they, they know me, you know, but not for a very long time. And these people poured into me. People from life groups, they were sending us um, care baskets and dinner, um, whatever we needed. Um, our life group was there for us, and that meant a lot. It has changed both of us, mm -hmm. you know, turning our ear a little closer and listening for people that are hurting let's go help them let's yeah. 
make their day like people made our day i mean it made our day so much easier it was really yeah. a blessing <laughs> <laughs> i am liz carter and i'm brandon carter and, and we, we are, are metro, metro. I'm not exactly sure where to start. I wish I was a little more articulate and expressive about um, my feelings for Wendy. Uh, I'm not sure where I would be without her. She is, uh, she's definitely somebody that God put in my life. Ryan is patient and kind and humble. Um, he is a hard worker. He's a really good provider for our family. Um, I love to watch him nurture people. He's always paying attention to his surroundings in the room, um, making sure that people feel comfortable, which I love about him. Uh, her gentle spirit, uh, passion, and just kindness are what made me fall in love with her. Um, she's caring and attentive and makes people feel comfortable while they're around her. He has twin brothers that he really loves and he's the older brother and when I watch him care for his brothers, it allows me to see the kind of father he'll be. Um, also with our nieces and nephews, he's always playing with them and um, being silly with them and I can tell he'll be a good father because of that. Um, all, the, all our nieces and nephews call her her favorite aunt and Corey, our four-year-old nephew, thinks she's his girlfriend. So I've wanted to be a mother for a really long time. Um, I'm just really excited about um, having a family and I feel like God has provided so much for us in our life and um, I just know he's going to provide a family whether it's through adoption, um, a biological, whatever his will is. I'm just excited to nurture a child and just to do my best in um, raising them to know that they're loved and to know that um, that they are special and that um, God has a plan for their life. So we've been trying to start our family for a couple of years now and um, it's been a long difficult road for us. Um, we've had two pregnancy losses and some months of infertility. But with that, God really opened our hearts to trusting His plan. Definitely we had adoption on our heart since we've been dating and um, it just came quicker than what we realized it would. So um, we're grateful for that now mm -hmm. and I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, family is important to us. Uh, we have a fairly close-knit family. Um, our family seems to be getting bigger every year. Mm -hmm. We have uh, eight nieces and nephews. Two more on the way. Yeah. And ages, what, eight for eight to two. Yeah. So we're just eager to get our family started uh, because our nieces and nephews and their cousins are eager and wait, ready, to, ready to play with the little yeah. guys. We're excited to have um, lots of cousins for them to play with. It's such a good place in life. and. Um, cousins are your first best friends. Cousins mean a lot to me and I had a lot of really good memories with them so it's just really cool to see our family come together and we're excited to bring a little one in um, for them to play with. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, we, we attend a large non-denominational church. Uh, we've been heavily involved in the church for quite a while um, from different areas including the cafe uh, to the kids ministry and even the construction of the new campus that's going to be opening soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I served in the kids ministry, I uh, loved working with the kids. We're just excited for our kids to be a part of this community that we've um, been a big part of and we love the youth ministry there um, that they have and, and the younger kid ministry that we are excited to see our kids be involved in. So we did the nursery in a little explorer theme. Um, it's important to us that um, we introduce our kids to exploring and traveling as we love to do and our love of nature. Uh, we really want to expose them to God's creation and just the joy that we find in that. And sport. Yes, and sports. Um, but we definitely want to introduce them to um, creativity and just help them to find their creative side and to explore and um, just really become who they are. So the nursery's done in a little explorer theme and we thought that was fitting for the dreams that we have for our little one. We hope to have two or three children in our family, uh, either through adoption or biologically as God provides. Uh, we have many hopes and dreams um, for our future family. Mm-hmm. We hope to provide just a ton of love and nurturing for them along with stability and structure and um, there's just so many things that we, we want to do for them. Um, we just really hope to help them figure out who they are. We believe that each child is um, just special and has their God-given gifts so we want to try to help nurture that and help them to become who they who God intended them to be. It's having a, a great you know we have a great marriage mm-hmm. and having God as the foundation of our, our of our marriage and in our lives and either way mm-hmm. um, we're trusting that God's gonna bring a child into our life. I am Ryan and I'm Wendy and we are the Greens. Isn't that an incredible story? Isn't that incredible? Now, some of you guys are going, well, what church are they talking about? They're from our church. What's really cool about this is that our video team uh, made a uh, profile video for them as they seek adoption nationally. And so this is going all over the country so people can see this and maybe uh, somebody out there will choose, Ryan and Wendy, uh, to be their adoptive home. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Yeah, way cool. So as you listen to all of these stories, let's just take one second and just thank the families for being so open and sharing their lives with us a little bit. Way to go. Just incredible. And friends, what we want you to realize and what we want all of us to live in is this idea that our hope is always in God. It's always in Christ. When you and I, when we turn our families toward him, our hearts toward him, when we give him our children and our spouses, that he, he will take care of us. And it may not always turn out the way we want. We might have huge struggles in the middle of it all. But he will care for us. He will care for us. Our hope is renewed when we set our hope on God. Amen? 
Amen. And, and you know what, friends? I want to share this with you. We're, in a few moments, we're going to have a bunch of families up here, and uh, they're going to be dedicating their, their children to, to God. They're really dedicating their homes to say that we want to have a Christ-honoring home where we teach our children to love God and to follow him. And, and we're going to give each of these families this little gift. And we went crazy and spent $9.36 on each family. It's crazy, okay? Uh, but those $9.30 come in a form of pennies. And there's 936 pennies in this little mason jar because that represents uh, one penny for each week of their life from the time that they are born until the time that they turn 18 years old. And that goes by fast, really fast. And so if you have kids or if you have grandkids, um, you think about how fast that time has gone. You think about your investment and where you want to lead your family. Let me tell you something. We can lead our families toward great educations and a prosperous life. And that's important. All that's important. We can lead them toward sports or music. All that's important. But if they don't have their hopes set squarely on God, they will be disappointed in this world. They will be disappointed. And let me tell you something. We have 936 weeks to set that hope deep into their, into their soul. We have 936 weeks to make a difference. As a matter of fact, we're going to ask every family that gets one of these jars to go home to figure out the age of their kids and to take out the pennies that have already been spent. To think about how fast it's already gone. And we're going to challenge them to use their time wisely. Because time doesn't wait for anybody. It doesn't slow down for anybody. We get one shot at doing this thing called family right. Let's be wise about it. Listen to this song and let it minister to your heart, because I think it will. Before you ran, before I knew it, you were teaching me the 
So. 